Misty Watkins is an incredibly gifted storyteller. Heriath is her memoir in poems of growing up in Central Florida, published by Autofocus Books in 2023. Seriously, does Autofocus just keep dropping great books or what? Heriath is told as a series of poem-like vignettes, and we'll get into the weeds of exactly what kind of works these are, according to Misty. Bearing the names of the author's family members, each entry recounts tragedies and the ripple effects, how they alter the life courses of those involved, both individually and as, and as a unit. But there are also moments of beauty, humor, and brilliantly evoked natural landscapes amid the more emotionally traumatic passages as well. And there's stories of people being hit by lightning multiple times. And Misty is a big Hemingway fan, as we'll also discuss on this episode. Her sister Amy, who features prominently in Hariath, is also a poet, by the way. I'm Christopher Nank, and welcome to the Florida Book Club. I'm here with Misty Watkins, author of Hiraith, which I hope I'm pronouncing right. Well, we'll definitely get to that here. A memoir in prose poems or vignettes or sketches. Uh, how we define these pieces is likely going to be a topic we'll cover today. So uh, welcome to the Florida Book Club, Misty. Thanks for having me. Okay. So as I alluded to, um, I'm curious, first of all, what the what the title Hiraith, and I still don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, but but what significance that has, but also what you would classify it as genre-wise. I mean, would you consider it a memoir in poems or a collection of autobiographical vignettes? Uh, so how would you describe it? And also, I'm, I'm curious, uh, what motivated you to write in this mode as opposed to like maybe a more, you know, quote unquote, traditional uh, prose memoir? Um and, and I don't know, I got to say, in, in a lot of places, it evoked uh, Ernest Hemingway's In Our Time, you know, those little italicized inner chapters that it has dividing things that reminded me of those tiny little short stories in uh, Hemingway's collection. So that's just a side note, but I'll, I'll let you handle the uh, larger, uh, address the, the the sort of larger question about your inspiration and, and your uh, your creative process. So I am going to just start by saying you made my whole damn day maybe my whole year. Um, Hemingway is one of my favorite authors. Um, and In Our Time is my favorite book. It is my favorite short story collection in English by far. So that's those little italicized chapters. I was like, this is so reminding me of of that. So yeah, I so I, I love that. Um, I would call this a memoir in prose poetry. Um, I didn't know what to call it for a long time. I went through a lot of a lot of just in my own head trying to work out what I was doing with it. I put it to the side for a long time. Um, but I really enjoy writing in short flashes. Um, I write a lot of flash fiction. Um, and I never think of myself as a poet, except that all of my work has been described as lyrical before. And so when I realized that I had a lot of these just stacked on top of one another. Um, my sister is a poet and she's a really wonderful poet, Amy Watkins, you should check her out. Um, and when I sent them to her, she was like, hey, you know that you have a chapbook, right? Like if you just keep writing these, eventually you'll have a poetry collection. And that really opened it up for me to lean into the fact that they are very snapshot-like. They are very, I hope they're very lyrical. Um, and I, I think of them as like portraits. Oh, I see. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Thank you for for defining that, first of all. And and I, I remember asking another uh, guest on the podcast who had written a book of flash fiction, you know, like 
like to, to sort of parse the difference between microfiction, short, short stories, prose poems, you know, uh, those. So uh, it's I, I still don't think I'm I'm any closer to having, at least in my mind, you know, sort of a not that those distinctions are necessary. I but. don't know that I can distinguish them either. In, yes. in my own in my own head, I'll be honest to, to me, the difference in my own work is if I'm approaching it as a prose poem, the arc matters less to me than the impression. And if I'm approaching it as a piece of flash fiction, I believe it still should have that arc, even if it's tr if it's a very truncated version. But that feels very um, uh, semantic, semant like it's arguing semantics. I'm, I'm mm -hmm. not sure that it, it won't insult me if you call it whatever you want to call it. Um, but we do we did market it as prose poetry. I gotcha. I understand. And well, some of these, it seemed to me, some of these did have kind of a little plot arc. Um, I'm trying to remember uh, Brent Father, for instance, which was a very kind of compelling uh, uh, piece in here. That seemed like it did have a little bit of an arc when you were talking about it, like, you know, a, a sort of a plot and, you know, even though it was sort of open-ended. So you're right. Like, this is only to say, you know, before we get into the weeds on, on some of these selections that, um, you know, uh, uh, the distinctions might not matter, or maybe, you know, you address a, a variety of modes here though, too. So, um, that was, now you, you have to explain the title. Hiraith. 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 And I'm going to apologize to Welsh as a language because it's a, it's a Welsh word. And, um, it is, as soon as I heard someone use this word, I fell in love with it. So it means it's like literal denotation is a longing for home. But I was listening to a Welsh writer talk about it, and they were saying that the connotation of the word is much deeper than that. So it is a longing for home, but it is a home that no longer exists and maybe never existed at all. Mm -hmm. And so that idea of like the home that you create in your mind maybe you create it with your family maybe you create it as like a national identity um and you can't ever get back there but also it might never have really been the way you imagine it to have been was incredibly compelling to me and once i heard this word and knew that it existed i just i couldn't think of a different title for it it felt right because that is what I was trying to explore in this, at least to some extent, is this idea that there there are these stories that we tell about ourselves and about our families and they matter. They create who we are and how we behave in the world. But if you took me back to, I mean, I go back to my childhood home a lot. It's not the same. I'm not the same. And some of it is only the myth some of it is only that like you know ethereal feeling that i get when i think about home i, I completely understand I, I i mean my i feel like a ghost when i go back to my hometown sometimes and one of my colleagues long ago said that you just feel like you're haunting a place that you know 
doesn't have you're trying to find that significance and that feeling that it had you know yeah. when you were that age and it's you know you only maybe get fleeting glimpses of it so. or you're being haunted by it yeah yeah so uh yeah because uh i i was just in my hometown over thanksgiving and i i, I definitely was trying to take a tour of the area and kind of <laughs> capture that. So I understand. I mean, and some of the events you describe here are incredibly, you know, intense and gripping and, 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 you know, devastating in, in some ways. So I wondered if, you know, to a degree, if it was cathartic for you to write about these, you know, family tragedies and, and some of, you know, there's some warmth and humor in it too. And these just great evocations of these Florida landscapes, which I ought, I automatically zero in on a lot. Um, and I know, you know, as, as you mentioned, um, your sister, uh, Amy has appeared with you at some readings and she is, a. Uh, Features in a substantial role in a lot of these stories. So I, I, I just, you know, wonder from a thematic and, and sort of inspirational viewpoint from, you know, from the content, uh, what drove, what was, what was sort of, um, the impetus or the genesis or the inception of, of, of this. Yeah. I have always written to understand myself. I always, I, I joke that I don't know how I feel about something until I've, I've written it down. Um, and so a lot of, yes, writing this was cathartic. Short answer is yes. Um, the long answer is as a writer who writes autobiographically, um, even, even when I, that's not the purpose of <laughs> the piece, right? Um, I, I'm going to just really lean into the fact that I'm always writing about myself and my family and where I came from. Um, so yes, it was incredibly cathartic in in one way. I will say I wrote a lot of these pieces that don't appear in the book and they don't appear in the book because they were either rooted in anger or disillusionment or pettiness, if I'm being completely honest. And those hey, we, all feel, the we all feel petty towards our families at some point, I guess. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. You can't avoid it. Those stayed in the journal. It was important to me that the pieces that made it into the book um, were not just cathartic to me, but, but did something beyond um, helping me understand who I am and what I wanted to say about these things. Um, and I hope there is humor in the book. I feel like yeah. I... I wanted there to be lighter moments. I wanted there to be things that you would chuckle at. Um, it is, it is a, it is a heavy book. Um, I sent it out and I got feedback from a press, which I won't mention. It's very lovely. They give you feedback on every, like on your submissions. But one of the editor's feedback was, I just felt like the book was missing like a sparkle and I so wanted to write back and be like, I'm sorry that a book about my sister's death didn't sparkle for you. But, you know, that's fine. Um, but yeah, the, those. That would have been I, epic, I, by the way. Oh, I, I laughed really hard. I sent the snarky email to my sister instead. And, <laughs> you know, we, we joked about it. But um, but yeah, I, I wanted it to be more than just catharsis for me. And one of the ways that I think, I, I hope that I do that is in things like, my sister is my favorite person. Um, she is incredible. I love her. I think that she is 
she's smart and funny and an incredible poet and painter and teacher and mother. And I feel that way about the people in my family. They are incredible humans. And I wanted to show them honestly. And I also wanted to capture that depth of feeling that I feel about them and for them. Um, And I will say Amy features in all of my stories, even if she isn't there in in reality she is she's such a presence when you know her that i just feel like everything i do i could like dedicate to her <laughs> oh no see that comes through that's that definitely resonates in, in the story so yeah i mean that like you're saying that, that's what i that's how i perceive there being some warmth in there and 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 you know i could tell that despite you know all of the really you know moving from melancholy to violent to sort of things. I mean, there was, there was this, I don't know if sparkle is the word I would use. That's an interesting way of putting it, but yeah, I definitely felt a warmth and and an affection there though, too. Good. So, um, and, and it's, it it seems appropriate to found a home at autofocus books because, uh, you know, they publish so many great books and this, this is just, just seems to align so well. Like I knew Michael Wheaton, who's been on this podcast, like, you know, would, would, would certainly see what was, what was there. So if you get to work with autofocus, if you can, I, they are so lovely. Michael is just an absolute delight. And I can't, I can't say enough about how wonderful it was to work with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's uh, and and they found such a, an an interesting niche too, you know. And it was like that. That's what I I thought when you were talking about the process of submitting it and sending it out. I was like, I you know, I wondered. I was part of my wondering that was how you how you found autofocus too. Just you had to think like, oh, this is kismet. Like, you know, look at their. Special. I feel very very lucky. I am actually in the first um, issue of autofocus's literary journal. Um, so I was recommended to Michael through a series of writers who I've worked with before when he was starting autofocus's literary journal. And they said, Misty might have a piece that would really fit in this. And so he published, it's one of my favorite pieces I've ever written. It's about my daughter. And I like, um, I got to work with Michael as an editor for that piece. He had some feedback and he, he saw what I was trying to do in that piece and helped me make it. If, if that piece is fantastic, it's because Michael helped me like root out the kernel of what I was really trying to do. And so when they started publishing books, I was like, Oh, this is, I, I have to at least submit there. And so, um, I missed their first open submission. The book wasn't ready. And then when they opened it back up again, I was like, send it immediately. Send it. Well, I'm going to be talking to him soon. So I'll I'll pass all this along. I'm I'm sure it would uh, make his day (laughs) in that regard here. That was very kind of you to say. Um, Now, as I I talked about before, I I know that the the sort of family dynamics and and dysfunction and violence, you know, all of those, those sorts of heavy themes, like you're saying, are, are, 
you know, a lot of a lot of the inspiration, the drop. But there's also is this backdrop, which I I kind of tended to zero in on is all of this nature imagery, you know, the vines, uh, the lubber grasshoppers, which are the scourge of my yard every mm-hmm. spring. I hate them, even though they're pretty, I guess. Um, these shrikes that hang their prey in, in, in the bushes, uh, rain coming down in sheets, invasive plants, the regeneration after a fire, you know, wolves, coyotes, panthers, palmetto scrub. Um, and the peace side brother, your brother, is described as having been not just struck by lightning twice, but being bitten by ants, scorpions, and spiders. I don't know how much of that's metaphorical, uh, but but in any case, uh, what attracted you to this kind of imagery as as a backdrop or as you know a repeated sort of evocation? Um, you know, what attributes do you think the landscape has, you know, as a setting for these pieces? Because it certainly seems like its own story w- within the larger, you know, tale of you and your family, uh, especially juxtaposed against, you know, all these human dramas. So I'll start with the whether or not the Psy pieces are metaphorical. Okay, yeah, that um, was like, this sounds crazy. Is this real? Like, <laughs> I really was struck by lightning twice, oh. or at least that's the family myth. So you can, I'm not a scientist. My understanding is, is that you can be struck directly by lightning, but also you can have these like, almost like little offshoots and you're much less likely to die from those. Um, So I'm assuming that the strikes were that kind of like, you know, he got zapped by like the electricity in the air, not an actual lightning strike. That's not as pretty. It's not as, it doesn't hit quite as hard. Um, He was stung by scorpions and he has some horrifying stories about being bitten by fire ants. Um, Me too. Yeah. I mean, if you're a Florida kid, I think I maintain if you're a Florida kid, you either have a horrifying story about saw palmetto, um, prickly pear, or fire ants, sometimes all three, but you've got one or like one of the three or all of them. Um, And Sai has all of them. Uh, But he, um, but yeah, those. The way that that became family myth, I wanted to explore. And then I also wanted to explore what that means to be a child in this kind of environment. Um, So Florida is a character in the book, I would say, as much as anyone else is, as much as, as, you know, the people are. And it's because it's a character in my childhood. Um, Florida is so unique in its environment. And then we grew up um, really as a part of it. Um, my parents built our house. So they bought property here in Florida and there was nothing on it. And we camped out until my dad had completed the house. Um, when I was born, they my mom talks about bringing me home to what was more or less a screened in porch. So we lived in Florida in a way that a lot of people are not a part of their environments. They're removed from that. And um, so that just, that just naturally is the way that I think about home is in this sense of place. And then as a writer, place has always been one of my favorite elements in storytelling. Um, I actually, in my notes, I have this, so I'm so glad you brought Hemingway up. Um, Hemingway is, as I mentioned earlier, one of my favorite authors. And one of the things that I fell in love with him is his ability to capture place 
and then show the mood of the story. There's an honesty in the way that he writes about place that is often not encapsulated by what his characters are saying. And so place is often the the where you would go to find like what the truth is. You know, you can you can kind of boil it down in that way. And I I love that and I was really inspired by that and I wanted to capture a little bit about this place that's often overlooked or kind of Florida becomes the butt of a lot of jokes. <laughs> and some of them are really funny and some of them are really valid but there is also a lot of beauty and a lot of pathos in the place that is florida and i wanted to capture that yeah um talking about hemingway uh uh, i was immediately um my mind went to the story big two-hearted river with the um their grasshopper imagery in that and the um and the uh, the burned over forest where there's stuff growing. There's an image of that. And I can't remember the story in Hiraeth, but but there is imagery of like the regeneration after a fire, I remember. And I immediately thought of that. So uh, and yes, setting is so underrated. I tell my students this all the time, analyze setting like that is and that that you will find like exactly what you say. You put it better than me, but you will, you know, often see like the backdrop of 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 where the 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 action of the characters and their dynamic happens. It's it's often so underrated. I think. I think in a farewell to arms. I think it's in a farewell to arms. Um, he has Hemingway has that. It's cited and quoted a million times, but it's the part about how. Um, none of the things that were sacred were sacred anymore. The war, oh yeah, the like, words and that. Uh, yeah, yeah, honor and 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 yeah, yeah. And it's only the concrete that has any meaning at the end of this war. And I think about that a lot when I'm writing, which is like when we're talking about something as abstract as like familial bonds. How do you make that feel? as heavy as it does in your mind and in your heart. And for me, that's always been through the concrete details. So I'm, I'm glad that it seems like it, that resonated with people. Yeah, absolutely. Now, again, that could be my own bias and proclivity that I just tend to look for things like that because I love setting details and, and, and landscapes and, and the symbolism of them. So uh, it's a, uh, uh, it was a real treat to read those uh, just by the way. And, and, Going beyond that, I don't want to like. I don't want to ask you to pick favorites of any of these uh, that way. I mean, unless you have them, you know. I I, I, I do. That. But I also say, but but another way you could approach this is: what were the most satisfying or pleasing of these to write? Like, which you know, which ones do you think gave you the most you know sense of fulfillment, or or you were proudest of? Or I guess that's asking you to pick favorites. But you know, uh, you know, or, or if anyone has like a quirky story behind its composition, you know. Um, like I said, I, I note that some of these were published individually over, you know, a, a period of time. So they weren't necessarily or maybe they were, I don't know, conceived as being part of a whole. But, um, you know, just- I knew I knew that they all went together. Um, and I I do think that they are stronger as a whole than they are separately. Um. I will say that I have favorites and I have some that were easier to write and I have some that were much harder to write. And those tend to be the ones that I'm more proud of. Um, the, the story about the African violets with my grandmother that mm-hmm. came to me immediately. It was easy to write. Um, I knew what I wanted to say. I knew how I wanted to say it. Um, 
One of the hardest ones to write, actually, is the very first story in the book, which is the story of me and Amy on the day our sister died. And um, I don't know if this is interesting, uh, but it's interesting to me as a storyteller. That story is not a story that was told in the family. My family is a family of storytellers. Everyone has their version of Sai getting struck by lightning. Everyone has their version of my dad killing a snake. Everyone has their version of my uncle Willie, you know, giving them a name, right? Like, like yeah. these are stories that are told in the family. This day is not talked about. And it has never really been talked about, which makes sense from like a traumatic standpoint. But a thing that's interesting to me is that um, I have a very visceral image, image and memory of Amy picking me up and carrying me down towards yeah. where our sister was was killed. And um, when she when our sister died, I was three, and so it is one of my first memories. And I have always assumed that this was a memory that was at least half made up in my head. Uh-huh. Until Amy wrote a poem about it, and it is shockingly similar in the details. And it's something that we had never discussed in person, but I had written this piece and she wrote her poem. And then we were like, her poem was published and I was working on this book. And we were both like, holy shit, this is, this is not a memory of a story that's told in a family. This is... Like this lived visceral memory, like a lived visceral memory, sort of that, collective sort yes. of. Yes, and that's really interesting to me. Um, just from kind of the the way memory works, it's interesting to me and feels really important because of that. Um, and it's also interesting because I had a draft of this book that did not have that story in it. Um, and I sent it to my friend Tate, who is also a wonderful writer. And Tate told me you have to have a story where you're the focus. You only exist in the book as like a shadow. Um, And I was like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to write those. And they were like, well, then you can't publish this book. Like you, you have to, you have to exist on the page as much as you exist in kind of the like margins of all of the other stories. And so I wrote this one and I wrote the one about um, not being able to watch horror movies. And I wrote the final piece for the book and they were so hard to write. They were so, it was so hard to be that vulnerable on the page. Um, And, but, but Tate was right with, without those pieces, I don't think the book is complete. Yeah, the final one is just titled Misty Self. You know, a lot of it, just for our readers, uh, you know, just sort of a preview, like a lot of they're titled after family members. And then, you know, there's usually a role, like a familial role, like aunt, sister. But the final one is Misty Self. So that sort of sets it apart. And I thought that I had actually intended to sort of add that on, like what decided for you that this was the end, this was going to be the last one. And you you kind of preempted that with your answer that, you know, because that's, I, 
I, I, a lot of the times when I, I, you know, I read short story collections, I'm always fascinated by the track list, you know, like you'd see in an album, like, you know, oh, okay, yeah. is there a logic to this? And, and that was, you know, what I came up with, like in a book like this, which is different, you know, it's, it's based on real lived experience. I mean, I guess most writing is to some degree, but you know, it was like, you, what made you decide this was the one to end it? Like, and, and it seems like it was composed to be like sort of a capstone. on the- Um, I had, the book was in a completely different order. And then, and they had, they didn't have titles. None of the pieces had titles. And um, Michael was like, that's confusing. And we talked in circles about how we were going to keep clear for the readers who all of these people are, because it's a huge cast of characters. My family is very large. And because it is memoir, I didn't want to combine characters. If this were a book of fiction. Right. You could condense them into. You, yeah, you could you could push them into kind of the, the tropes or the themes that they're playing. But these are all real people, so I can't do that. And so what we came up with was just a very simple titling convention, which is the person's name and who they are to me. Um, and so when, when there are a few that are like me and my siblings, and so it will be our names and then big sister, which is Amy brother, my brother, and then little sister, because that's who I am in that story. And so that final one was always titled Misty self, because it's the one that is just who I am to myself. Um, and but it wasn't it actually wasn't the last one in the book i thought i was like no that's not the point of the story and i i rearranged it a hundred times and uh that was part of the editing process was figuring out the flow of those sections to like really get that impact yeah it's a nice final image because i i love getting my feet buried in the waves when you just stand there and it's i I, that image really popped to me i was really able to see that so uh here's another question i i didn't i'm curious has your family read this book yeah most most of my family has read this book i'm curious Um, i mean i don't know uh you know if that's personal you know what they thought of it or anything or um i don't mind sharing um so the book is dedicated to my siblings and to my two cousins rena and danny (laughs) Um, they grew up right next door to us and they are, they might as well be my siblings. We're very, very close. Mm -hmm. So I sent this book to my mom, my sister, my brother, and those two cousins. And I said, if there's anything you don't like, if there's anything that you think is not my story to tell, please give me that kind of feedback. I don't know that I'll change anything, but but they were the people whose feedback I wanted about whether or not this was okay to put into the world. Um, they were all very supportive. Um, my dad has read parts of it. I don't think he has sat down and read the whole thing, but he is also very supportive. Everyone who has read it since it's been published has been very supportive. Um, which is which is lovely. I also didn't send it to people. You know, I didn't like post it in a family Facebook group or something like that. I didn't bring copies to Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Um because like all families, you know, there are 
there can be hurt feelings and there there can be things. And so I really did feel like if you want to read it, I hope they do. You know, I I'll stand behind everything that I wrote and said, but there are very few people that I hmm, trying to phrase this in a way that doesn't sound aggressive. I worked very hard to make sure that at least for myself, these stories felt like they belonged to me. So there are vignettes that I wrote. There are snapshots that I wrote that when I read them, I was like, this is a story that I have heard. And it's a story, it's from my perspective, but it's not a story that actually impacted me. So it might tell you something about, you know, my Aunt Wilma, but it's not my story to tell about my Aunt Wilma. Or, you know, this might this might explain a little bit more about who my dad is in the family, but it that isn't an impactful story about my dad for me and and how we relate. And all of those stories I felt like I had to take out of the book because uh, again, I I know that that's kind of like a maybe a little bit of a wishy-washy answer. But when, no, you're, writing, when you're writing memoir, the, the question that I always come back to is like, I write about my family. Like my favorite piece I've ever written is about my daughter. Um, that is an invasion in some ways, but it is also there, you know, when I talk about my Aunt Betty and the way that she talks about my mom, that impacted me. That changed the way that I felt when I was with her, you know? And so those kinds of things, the stories that are maybe not as warm or the stories that are not as like, they're not a positive light. It's really important to me that at least in my own mind, I can say that impacted me and this story is mine on some level. Yeah. You know what? This is, this is going to sound funny, but it, it's, it's like when you're telling your own story, you're almost necessarily telling the stories of the people in your life too. So, I mean, in a sense they do, though, those stories do belong to you, I guess, from my point of view, but I completely get what you're saying about her feelings on, on another note. It was funny. Like you I, I, uh, some of the humor, at least it was sort of funny to me. It seems like, you know, you overheard a lot of gossip about you and your family when you were a kid based on these, you know, it's like, I can't remember what, it, what story it was in, but it was something like, oh, you know, of course those kids act that way. Or I can't remember. It was a line that like, it seemed like you heard very clearly, you know, but you oh, sometimes it was overhearing, right? Sometimes it was the like whispered from a corner, yeah. or you came into the room and someone's telling a story about like, yeah, Misty's so stubborn, just like Brent kind of thing. Yeah, um, and I, I think every family has that sort of stuff. So it was, it was sort of made me smile. <laughs> yeah, you definitely do. In my family, and I think that this is, this is very Southern, you have the like stated directly and at you, but it's like couched in the, the like, oh, bless her heart kind of way, which by the time you're like six in a Southern family, you know your family's calling you an idiot. Um. So yeah, I wanted to I wanted to capture that kind of those different levels of overhearing, right? The ones that are like meant for you to overhear and then the accidental like oh, I wouldn't have said that if I would have realized that person was in the room. Yeah, I got you. So we kind of talked about this um already to sort of wrap up here, but uh you know, at the beginning, but 
I'll tell you this. Did you, if there was one takeaway you wanted readers to, to get from this book, what do you, what would it be? Because to me, you know, how I suggested it was that, you know, how, you know, maybe your experiences with your family can maybe illuminate or make people think, you know, about the place they grew up in their childhood and maybe, cause that's what it did for me. I mean, it made me kind of reflect on, on that for myself, you know? Uh, so I mean, in addition to sort of working out, you know, some of your memories and how you felt about them and and, and how you contextualize them now, uh, what other takeaways would you want for readers? So I, I love that, that it, I hope that it makes people think, I hope that it makes people feel like their stories are worth telling, that, you know, you can learn something about humanity from looking at the stories that you tell about yourself and the people in your life. Um I also really believe that the world would be a better place, that we would be better people if we could admit both the lovely things and then the very hard things. I think often when we're working with healing and, you know, that's kind of like a buzzword, like, oh, I'm, I'm on my healing journey. Um, but I do think that's important. And but I think sometimes when we're working through that, we're very quick to be like, this was the monster in my life, or this person was important to me, so they could never do anything wrong. And that kind of black and white thinking about people and their actions, I think is really detrimental to us as humans and as people who are parts of these larger groups. And so I wanted to show my family is big and lovely and really, really messed up. And both of those things are true. My parents loved me deeply and intensely, and they wanted the best for me, and they hurt me. And I don't think we do anyone any favors when we pretend like if one of those is true, the other ones are not. Yeah, very well said. I, I tell my students all the time that I, you know, it's not even just people, just things that we view as either ors and binaries. And, you know, life in general is so much more nuanced and and and, and deep than that. And I, I absolutely love how you phrased that. So, uh, okay. So, uh, Misty Watkins, what are you working on now? Anything coming down the road? What can we look for you, look for from you in the future? Um, so I am going into my final semester of a master's program. So oh, the only awesome. the only writing that's coming up is a thesis. So um, I mean, I, I have a project about horseback riding with my dad that I mess with anytime I have in any amount of moments. And I think eventually that will turn into a piece that is, uh, again, a, a kind of combination of growing up stories and then also the ecology of the place that we were going through. Um, but that's, that's down the pipeline a ways because yeah, I'm, I'm working on doing a bunch of research and writing a, you know, 75 page thesis in the next semester. Yeah. I know what that's like writing my master's thesis. I remember having so much self doubt, like maybe I'm not as smart as I think I am and maybe I'm not really that good of a writer and stuff. So yeah, I, I know what you're going there. And I was, yeah, I was like 25. So I, I, um, it was, you know, I, I, uh, 
I didn't have a whole, I wasn't brimming with self-confidence really back then. <laughs> Even. Well, I'm, I'm a little bit older than that. Uh, and I'm, I'm also not sure if I'm brimming with self-confidence over this, but I keep telling myself, we'll get through it. Actually, the thing was, I think I was, I had too much self-confidence. You know, I thought, you know, I'm in grad school, I know everything. And then you get knocked down a peg when your advisor says, no, 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 you got to do this, this, this. I'm like, oh, okay. So I got you. So, you know, in the meantime, we will just have to save our high ref and, and, uh, just look forward to what you'll do uh, post-graduation. So uh, oh, thank you. <laughs> so Misty Watkins, you are now a member of the Florida Book Club. Wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for attending this meeting of the Florida Book Club. That's great parting advice. Let's try to avoid black and white binary thinking about people, about places, about experiences, etc. We can all be both lovely and messed up. They are not mutually exclusive categories. There is a link on our website to purchase Harayath from Autofocus Books. Remember to support your local independent bookstores and public libraries. See you at our next meeting.